0: Today we are privileged to celebrate the Most Holy Name of Mary that has been restored by a great devotee of Mary as is the case of all the saints, St. John Paul. As we face her son in the Holy Eucharist, we take the opportunity first to thank him for giving us his second greatest possible gift to us, to us individually. He can't give anything greater than himself So, he himself is the greatest gift that we contemplate in the Eucharist. But intimately linked to this greatest of all gifts is his second greatest gift, which is his perfect mother. And Mary gave us Jesus' body and blood. And it was through her profound yes on occasion of the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel announced to her she was chosen to be Mother of God. And we hear that beautiful name Mary for the first time. Hail Mary, full of grace. And the original Greek, full of grace, is in the vocative case. In other words, she's actually called full of grace. And that name is exclusively used for her. No one in the entire Bible enjoys that name of full of grace. And it was through that yes that we have the Holy Eucharist. Because her yes led to the Holy Spirit. Or occasion the Holy Spirit to incarnate God the Son. How, Jesus, do you want us to see Our Lady, Mary, the woman with that sweetest of names? There's many ways to look at her, but he referred to her. When he hung on the cross as mother, when he gave her officially, formally to each one of us through the agency of St. John, behold your mother. And he introduces John as her son. She was our mother from the moment of her own conception. But it was in that precise moment of anguish and suffering that Jesus made it more formal, that she's my mother, because a mother is the consolation of her children. A mother heals, comforts, nourishes, encourages, especially when her children face suffering. We need to look at her according to her most salient perfection. She is full of grace on the remote heels of the celebration of the Assumption and her coronation. She's perfect on the order of motherly love. Perhaps, given today's culture with so much heavy emphasis on success, accomplishment, physical appearance, academic acumen, material gain. We may not appreciate the exalted perfection of Mary. Even in popular movies, when the woman is a heroine, She's strong, she's accomplished, she has charm, she's efficient. But very seldom do we observe a heavy emphasis on one of the greatest callings. A woman's finest hour is to love as a mother, whether it's natural motherhood with her own children, or a spiritual motherhood where she lavishes love on friends, on family, with her motherly heart. God has given us Mary precisely so we treat her as our mother. Let's reflect a bit theologically on the role of Mary in our personal lives. And we need to avoid the danger of making her into, in an analogous sense of course, a semi-goddess who did not suffer original sin, did not suffer the effects of original sin, she was in that state of holiness where she had absolutely no experience of the seven sinful inclinations that every human being has with varying degrees of concentration, whether it's laziness or anger or pride, lust, and so forth. She never had that experience. And at face value, we may honor her and venerate her, but feel a bit distant. Given her exalted sanctity and moral and spiritual perfection. But let's try to go deeper, and we ask our Lord, who presides over this time of prayer, help me understand the profound ramifications of this perfection of love. In light of Jesus' teachings, And the epistles of St. Paul, especially his ode to charity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where no gift, no quality amounts to anything in comparison to our most excellent gift, which is that capacity to love and give ourselves with the very heart of Christ. So Mary's perfection, goes way beyond that limited perfection that doesn't seem to impress God too much in light of 1 Corinthian chapter 13. Her perfection is the perfection of motherly late, maybe. There's no comparison with the sanctity of someone born in sin, which is everybody but Mary, and Mary's sanctity. But what does that tell us? It tells us that she's a perfect mother. I was watching with some friends a beautiful movie titled M for Mother, produced in Iran, subtitled in English, the dialogue was in Farsi, and it was about a woman who did not have an abortion, even though she knew that her future child would suffer genetic defects. And... Her husband urged her to terminate the pregnancy but she stood her ground with much struggle and suffering and he divorced her. She gives birth to the child and a significant portion of the movie is her selfless, dedicated love for this child. She was a virtuoso violinist, according to the movie, and her musical career definitely played second fiddle to her role as motherhood, no pun intended, and it's just a beautiful narrative of her empathizing, identifying with the needs of her son, and training him how to be a musician, and just lavishing him with unfailing love. And what enhanced her love for the little boy was his disability. I've seen that in real life. How? A mom may have a number of children, but definitely she gives more attention and more love, if you will, to that child who suffers physical defects or even mental defects. These experiences of earthly motherhood, which are always so moving and edifying, we know that from personal experience, give us a glimmer of Mary's love for me for you. And so we have received this gift so that we deal with her as a mother. We ask the question rhetorically in the presence of Jesus, what does this motherhood lead us to? What will she do for us? Will she give us health? Yes, as long as it fits into the greater scheme. Of her son? Will she make us prosperous? Will she make us popular? Will she resolve problems and mishaps and contradictions? Again, as long as it falls within God's plan. Her mission is to give us the very best. She wants to introduce us to her son unite us to her son. That's the very best she could do. And we see in the Cana event, where she appears for the only time in the public life of Jesus, that she serves as a means, as a vehicle, to introduce the workers at the feast to her son. And her last recorded words are, do whatever he tells you to do. I recall vividly, I am dating myself a little bit more now than 25 years ago. Last August, on the Feast of the Assumption, we also commemorated the 25th anniversary of World Youth Day in Denver. And to this day I don't know how it happened, but I was selected to be a World Youth Day director. I was given a church to look after because that particular church, in fact it was called Holy Ghost, was a World Youth Day church. The place where the young pilgrims would come to pray, go to mass, go to confession. And I remember being contacted by the Denver Archdiocese in January or February of 1993, giving me a few indications on how to operate as a World Youth Day director. And I was told to open the church, close the church, welcome the young people, accommodate them, know where there were some fast food restaurants, have on hand hospital phone numbers in case of an emergency, and just be welcoming. And I would get further indications and directives later on as we approached World Youth Day. And I recall receiving a phone call from the Denver Archdiocese recommending that I organize Eucharistic adoration and find priests who could be available for confession and have masses said in that church. I recall as if it were yesterday. I didn't know what to expect. In fact, I arrived in Denver a couple of days before the actual World Youth Day event. And on the way, I gave my seminarian friends an option that if we didn't have much to do, we could go to the Rocky Mountains and I would preach a day of recollection. And so we could have a little mini-retreat in the Rocky Mountains once I opened the door and welcomed the kids. But I had a little intuition. I said, gentlemen, we don't know what to expect, but we should be prepared to eat little and sleep little. My intuition turned out to be quite accurate. I remember opening up shop, sitting in the confessional. It was a Wednesday morning of the second week of August, and virtually heard confessions with very little sleep, not too much food, from Wednesday morning to Saturday afternoon. There were streams of pilgrims coming in, requesting time before the Blessed Sacrament. It was the only experience I had of people getting impatient with me because I had to ask them to leave the church to give other people a chance to adore the Blessed Sacrament. I really wish I had that problem often, but at that singular moment, I was gently asking people to leave after they had been there time so many other people could come. And I was trying to recruit different priests to help me, and I was semi-successful. But they were busy hearing confessions in the stadium and different locales where they had meetings on occasion of World Youth Day. And it was a spectacular show of evangelization, almost a million young people. And the grand finale was the solemnity of the Assumption with St. John Paul presiding. And And I remember as if it were yesterday, this beautiful icon of Our Lady of the New Advent and John Paul with his characteristic optimism telling us in Cherry Creek Park that victory is assured because of the Blessed Mother. But we needed to make all sorts of sacrifices, focus our hearts on Christ through the Blessed Mother, so that this kingdom of God, this kingdom of peace and joy be extended. And Mary was the secret of that objective. I remember when he was elected studying for the priesthood in Rome. And immediately I knew he was special because of his devotion to Mary. And even on the coat of arms, there was a big M and a cross. Not your typical shield or coat of arms. And it was a prodigy of evangelization, his pontificate, and the subsequent popes, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, also very Marian popes, have occasioned huge crowds of people hearing the words of Jesus. Mary, what is your role in my life? Your role in my life is to be my mother and help me in all my needs, both physical, emotional, spiritual, but your specialty is to lead me to Christ. And we pray to her that she win for us the grace to want to be saints so that she can shine, especially in her role as mother. We are lucky to learn from Saint Jose Maria, who would react if he detected that people were impressed by him or wanted to imitate him. He would usually say, I'm a poor sinner in love with Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is our model, and indeed that's true, but saints do model Christ. But he made one exception, and that was that if we're going to imitate anything, we should imitate him in his love for Mary. And we want to connect the evangelical dots. He wanted to be a saint, he did become one. And we can't calculate how many people have connected with Jesus, have repented and converted or reverted, found their vocations, have committed themselves to sanctity, have attracted others to Christ. We trace it back to Mary. Hence, one of his many mottos, To Jesus we always go, and to him we always return through Mary. Let's make that resolution to bring Mary into my spiritual life as this mother who will connect me with Christ and turn me into an instrument of evangelization. There's nothing Mary wants more than that we serve as instruments to attract people to her son. That's the reason for her son's existence, to save, to sanctify, to grant everlasting life. And those goals, those objectives, find a home in the heart of Mary. Using an aspiration of St. Jose Maria. O most sweetheart of Mary, prepare a safe way for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.